When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. What's going on, y'all? This is Mac, and I just jumped off the porch with Dirty Glove Bastard. Holla. I couldn't tell him what it feel like, but I can't tell him it feel right. I finally got some sleep left. All right, so we got the legendary Mac jumping off the porch with us today, man. Yes, I'm on the porch with off the porch today. Yes, sir, man. First off, it's an honor to have you on here, Mac. Oh, man, I'm honored to be here. I got to stretch my knees out. I'm old. Y'all know I'm old. Y'all know I'm old. Yeah, man. So we we know you're in Atlanta for this uh, No Limit reunion concert, man. Yeah, yeah. How's the tour been so far, man? Uh, Very interesting. It's been great. The tour has been great. Me, I've been very interesting. That's what I would say. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of weird getting on stage after so many years. I can and, only imagine. And not, and not going from like being in prison to performing in front of 200 people, 300 people. No, they like propelled me in front of an arena. And I'm like, yo. Like, yeah. So it was kind of like a culture. It was sensory overload, as you would say. But I think the last uh, two shows I've gotten kind of adjusted. Okay. Yeah. And what you think of these crowds? And you know, nowadays everyone's holding the cell phone. Right, right. It wasn't like that back when uh, nah, you was doing nah, these shows, nah. man. That's, that, that's been quite interesting. Well, technology has, has really been, um, it has been something that I've really been enjoying. And uh, to be honest, the crowd's been showing a lot of love, so that's cool. But I'm, I'm just trying to get reacclimated to everything, so. Yeah, I, I would just want to ask, uh, I don't know if you can put it into words, but how would you describe these last five months since you touched back home? Um, man, I've been happy. I've been happy about everything. I don't know why people mad. I'm so happy I'm out, out that box. It feels so good to not be counted. Because, you know, in prison you get counted like every couple hours the people got to count you and it just feels good to not be on that count, man, just to enjoy being with my family, to enjoy traveling, to be here, you know, to be able to actually move around. Yeah. This is good. Yeah, I was happy when I, I learned that you were able to travel, too, because I, I think oh, man, at first good. it was kind of up in the air, right, if you were going to be able to join these yeah. shows. Well, I have some restrictions as far as on, uh, you know, some of the restrictions that was given to me as far as my parole is concerned. But luckily, you know, uh, I've been getting, I've been, been, given a, a, a little bit a little bit of room to actually make a living so that's been good absolutely so is this kind of how you imagined it when you did come home does it feel surreal to, is it like you said you're happy man are you happier than you thought you would be or surreal is a good word i kind of use that often it, it was um everything is going great and i'm just i'm just anxious to see where it's going to you know, where it's going to go, what, what it's going to lead to, but I'm having fun. Yeah. So what was your reaction? What type of emotions went through you when you were finally granted the parole after 21 years? I think I cried. I think they, they have it on, uh, and boy, I kind of looked at myself when I actually saw the tape of me crying. I was like, look at this dummy. <laughs> but as I was doing it, I was just overwhelmed, man. It, it was like good tears. So it was good. Can you kind of just kind of speak on that journey uh, for those 21 years? Uh, uh, if you just continuously fighting, not giving up, like, and I know I'm innocent, man. They got to let me out. This right, place. right. Well, the, the crazy thing is I thought I was getting out every year. And all and, imagine, and my partners yeah. and my wife would tell you, every year I was like, yo, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. And I think that 
that hope that every year that it was going to happen is what gave me a focal point. It gave me a focus and uh, it kind of kept me on point of what I needed to do to, um, to get out of there or to prepare myself for the opportunity when that opportunity presented itself. And um, because if not, I think if I would have ever just accepted the reality that I was going to be in prison, I don't think things would have turned out so good. I probably would still be in prison with a couple more charges for doing some crazy stuff. But uh, I always had that hope, man, that I was going home like tomorrow. Yeah. You know. And it's my understanding you didn't get in any trouble whatsoever while you were locked. Up. While while I was in prison? Correct. Oh hell no. See, one thing about prison, prison has a way of of kind of like, it's a, it's a forced a subconsciously um, forced respect. Because, you know, like, I get out of here and um, I see how guys get into it on social media and everything, and, and you know, for the most part, it's, it's youngsters and, they, you know, they really don't know yet. And you gotta give them room for their mind to develop, but you can't, like, threaten a man and then go to sleep in the same dorm with him. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, you either gonna really be about that or you gonna leave that alone? Cause I mean, there's no sales in the prisons and uh, in the population, the general population in uh, Louisiana. So in general population, it's like one big open flat. We all got beds in there. So you ain't gonna just be telling somebody, and then go to sleep, you see what I'm saying? So you kind of just learn how to deal with different personalities. And that's what I caught on and I caught on quick. Yeah. <laughs> understand. So where were you at mentally when you first went in, um, you know, after that, that trial? Man, after the trial? Yeah. I, first day in jail, man, I was scared to death. I'm gonna be straight up with you. I had never been in, in, uh, in, in jail before, so you hear all these stories about like, man, you know, you got this guy with this knife, and some of those stories are actually true. This kind of stuff happens. But my first day there, I remember walking in the dorm, um, they told me I was going to like, there was a cell like upstairs, right? So when I walk in, I see a guy standing by the television. He got no shirt on, got a rag tie around his head and he looked like he running shit. So he's standing there by the TV and he, you know, pointing at the TV. So in my mind, I was so scared. Let me tell you what fear do you. So I was so scared in my mind. I'm like, yeah, I got him. I'm gonna do him something. Cause he must be the one running the tear. So I got to get him first. That's what my mind was at, right? So. I walked and I looked at the guy that was standing next to the cell that I was supposed to go to and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna throw him over the balcony. So I came up the stairs and there was a guy that shook my hand and he was like, what's up, Mac? I was feeling your music on the streets. So he shook my hand and he walked off. I'm like, yeah, he's trying to play me, I'm gonna get him. So, you know, I was, I was just paranoid. I'm like, everybody in the dorm, I think I plotted on, I plotted on killing probably about four people in the dorm. I was so scared. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what fear do you. So did you get like, was that the common thing where you got a lot of respect because people were familiar with your music at the time or? Man, prison don't care. It's, you gotta earn it. You know, you had people that really liked, uh, that were probably fans of the music, but if you come in prison and you think that because people was listening to your music on the street that it's, you gonna have a free ride, ain't gonna happen for you because some people gonna test you to see if you really, really about what you're saying on these songs. And uh, for me, I think my personality, I, I think I genuinely have a uh, welcoming personality. So I was cool, but you also gotta set boundaries. So, you know, as men, we, we, know, we set boundaries and I never really had problems like that. It was, re it was mutual respect. I give it and it was given. You were in there mentoring uh, younger people too, right? Yeah, see that was after, you know, after I, I had to mature enough to get to that point where I was mentoring people because I probably needed to be mentored my first couple years there, you know. Because yeah, you were what, 22 when you went yeah, in? Yeah, I was ready to walk every day. I was, you know, I was prepared to go to war. I thought it was, uh, you know, I thought it was saving Private Ryan or something at the time. But over time I learned that, um, you know, it's really just about how you treat people, man. And that's universal, whether you're in prison, because people in prison are human, and you have the same things in prison that you had on the street. You got those guys, you know, when you get there, you have the crowd that's doing drugs, the crowd that's gambling, the crowd that's into, you know, you got that crowd, and then you have the guys that's 
going to, um, you know, the education building that's in the law library trying to fight their way up out of there. And me, I like to win. So when you're in prison, a win is getting out, right? Mm -hmm. So I just noticed that the guys that were getting out were the guys that was in the law library, getting the education and doing those things. So that's what I gravitated towards. Now, if I'd have saw all of the guys that was over here doing this foolishness getting out, I probably would have started that foolishness. <laughs> but I wanted out of there, man. And, you know. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. It was just what I chose to do. So how much did you learn about the law while being in there, just kind of trying to study up and figure out, all right, maybe I can get out doing this way? Man, you know, I've I read a lot of stuff, but I'm going to tell you, law jargon gives me a headache. I'm gonna be honest with you, reading all them Latin words and all that, all them paragraphs, them little bitty small little words that's that long, I ain't got time for that. It was really giving me a headache. So I'm, I'm kind of a person that go to the meat of a thing, find out, okay, what, what do I need? What do I really need? Bring me to that. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 32 now. Text grade to 32-32-32. Paragraph, let me read it thoroughly and then let me move on. I'm not the one that's going to sit there and read a whole law book because if it's something that doesn't um, concerns my situation, then I really ain't give it my attention. I want it out of there. So if it didn't have anything to do with me getting out of there at concerning me, I wasn't really giving it my attention. Yeah, understood. So were you writing while in there? Or like, were you even thinking about rapping or was that just not even on your mind at the time? Hmm. I wrote sometimes, you know, rap, uh, you know writing is therapeutic for me. So I wrote sometimes, um, I went stretches where I didn't write anything. You know, then sometimes I would write a piece of a song. Some songs took me five minutes to write. Some songs took me five years or 10 years. Oh, wow. It just depends on how I felt at the time. Um, so what was your reaction when, um, I don't know if you got transferred to Hunt or if C. Murder got transferred to Hunt, but when y'all were basically in the same Same together. together. Oh, so here's the, here's the crazy weird thing. I was at Hunt already. I was called to one of the administration offices and uh, I was basically put in a room by a couple of administrators and they were like, look, we brought your boy here. All right. I'm like, Okay. All right. I said, all right. I get the F out of my office. That was how I went. I left out of <laughs> Well, I could curse on Get the fuck out of my office. All right. So, yeah, I left out of the office. And he came, and man, it was just good to, to be around him. It was bittersweet because a part of me, you know what I mean? It felt good to have him there, have someone I could relate to, where I can, you know, talk about our past memories and stuff. But it also was. You know, it hurt me to see him in that position because he's in a much serious, a much more serious position than me. So, like, every day that we spent in each other's, uh, every moment, I should say, because we was around each other a lot every day that we spent in uh, each other's presence, I kind of just felt, you know, I felt good to be there. But when I left, walked away from him, I just felt bad for him, man, because his situation is, you know, life. And when, when Louisiana say life, 
They mean life. Yeah. You know. How how was he holding up mentally? Oh, well, C was good. You know, yeah. C C is a C is a fighter, man. He's strong. So, you know, he's one of those people. He's not going to stop. He's going to fight to get out of prison with his, with every breath, man. So he's going to fight, and um, he actually made some progress in his case. Uh, and I'm just praying, man, and we all just hoping that that his freedom will come soon because I'm not going to really be totally satisfied, you know what I mean, until he's here. Yeah. Because a part of me just feel guilty for leaving him, you know. And I know that, no, I wanted to get out. And guess what? He's more happier that I'm out than anybody else. Really? But just a part of me just feel like, man, I wish I could have just put him in my coat or something. And <laughs> snuck him out of there, right? you know what I mean? Uh, what was you guys' conversations like? Like, did you both look at each other like, how the hell did we end up here? We laughed about it. We used to be sitting there on the bed like, how in the hell did we end up in, man, we just was in France. We was just in, you know, wherever, man. And, and we didn't dwell on it. We actually kind of made light of it and just, you know, we try to try to keep each other in good spirits. Yeah. You know, there was a whole free Mac campaign going on. Were you aware yeah. of um, everything that was going on as yeah, far as social was, media wise? Be, before he got locked up, he was one of the people, uh, <laughs> one of the in, initiators of it before he got locked up because he used to come see me in the Paris like every two weeks. He'd come visit me. And man, when he got locked up, I was like, damn, man, you know. But uh, yeah, I was aware of it. It was, it was um, my mother was basically at the forefront when I first got arrested man my mother didn't know what to do we had no knowledge of of how the system worked as far as from that uh perspective but my mother did the only thing that she felt she could do and she just went told my story to whoever would listen whatever media platform whoever would give her their attention she went told it and she just was fighting and fighting and just you know every year every man my mom was on tv more than anybody I ever met just trying to tell somebody, my son is innocent, my son is innocent. And I just, you know, I love her for it. And then, you know, over the years, I start meeting investigators, I start meeting college students. You know, I eventually met my wife, who was also a big advocate of mine, who spoke at my hearing to get me out of here. Then I had people like my homie Kane, mm -hmm. who was pushing the Free Mac movement online. You had brothers like D1, who I met along the way, and they were all like big supporters. And it, it was just good to have so much support because there's a lot of brothers that's still in there that don't have that support and won't, you know what I mean, for, for whatever reason. Yeah, absolutely. I know Fiend even went to visit you guys a few oh, yeah, times Fiend. too. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention Fiend. Yeah, Fiend came through. What were the conditions like inside the prison during COVID? Uh, like during oh, in the people? prison? Uh, they shut everything down, of course. You know, they stopped visitation. They basically stopped anybody from coming in or out of the prison. Because it was, um, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where you're in a enclosed environment and something like COVID can be detrimental when you're, you know, you're, you're in a inmate, an institution or rather, whether it was a college um, campus or a prison, a hospital, anywhere where there's a, a, a dense population of people, it can be bad. So they shut everything down at the prison. Yeah. So you finally get freed. What's the first thing you do, man? The first thing I did? Uh, Bambino, what's the first thing I did when I got out? I went to go eat some shrimps. Some shrimp? Yeah. Where'd you go? To, uh, my partner, my manager, Russell, he out there at a restaurant called Dunball's. He picked me up and I was like, yo, I need to go eat some shrimp. So that's what I wanted to do. I hadn't had shrimp in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you end up meeting your wife while you were locked up? Hmm. I don't know, that might be a question for her. How did I meet you? Nah, uh, she was, uh, uh, we hooked up on business. Actually, she's a publicist. And we, it was concerning some interviews that I was asked to do. And we just started communicating with each other on a regular basis. And um, something happened. And, you know, we've been together now for about what? Almost nine years? Oh, wow. Something like that. We got married in 2018. Actually, Corey C. Murder was the best man in my wedding because we got married on the yard. Uh, my homie Stan was in it, my, my homie Bride, who I grew up with, her uh, father and family, my family, we all was there. Yeah. So uh, they let me have probably as nice of a wedding as you can have in the Bing. Yeah. So I was thankful for that. 
just like how inspiring and motivating was that like, all right, now I have something really to come home to, mm-hmm. man. Hell of pressure. <laughs> pressure. You know, marriage is pressure. <laughs> you know. Ain't that right, baby? Marriage is pressure. Uh, nah, it, it, it was good, you know, to have somebody who was there for me, like, you know. I'm pretty private, so I don't know if y'all know this, but I'm kind of uh, private. And she basically helps me with a lot to readjust to things, and I needed that. So what's been like kind of just reading, have you been able to read some of the comments though, of like all the support that you've been having? And Yeah, man, that's, over, that, that's humbling, that's humbling, that's humbling. And uh, I appreciate those people, man, because um, that carried me a long way in the journey, carried me along. Wait, the, I can't say that on this show. The journey is what we call prison. In, in New Orleans, we say the journey. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, 21 summers, man. Yeah. Um, is this something you... Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bro, while you were locked up? Now, this is weird. I actually wrote 21... 21 summers is about how I felt when I got out, right? but I actually wrote it while I was still in. Hmm. I wrote 21 Summers while I was fire watching for a welder at the bottom of a boat when I was wow. working on the shipyard right before I got out. Jeez. I was in work release and uh, I, was in the, I was at the bottom of the boat. I was sweating bricks because it was hot as hell. Fire was everywhere, the guy was welding. And it just came to me. Hmm. And I was imagining what I would feel like once I'm out. And, um, Everything that I imagined pretty much came into fruition. Yeah. So did um, Monster Beats, did they construct the beat around your lyrics or did you just find the beat that kind of matched it? All right, so what happened was I had, um, I actually wrote the the arrangement to it and I I gave them an idea of what I wanted. And I kind of did a, I did a, what I call a dummy track Okay. I did a dummy track of it, and I played the piano chords and stuff, and I sent it to him, and I'm like, yo, I want to take a combination of what I arranged and some of that, that flavor y'all got, because I, like I like their sound. So uh, when he sent it back, I was like, oh, snap, this is it. Hmm. This is it. So we, that, was, that was pretty much how that one came along. Okay. And Dart, shout out to Dart, because he contributed too. Dart is a... Uh, At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Um, a former, a former rapper slash producer. He, he still do his thing, but he was with a group in New Orleans called Three Nine Posse years ago. Like in uh, KLC, who is okay. part of uh, Beast by the Pound. Him and Dart was all in the group together, but Dart also. Uh, played a part in the arrangement of the um, the music. Okay. Um, did you learn how to play piano while locked up, or was that something you knew beforehand? Uh, well, I've been kind of doodling around with keyboards uh, since about 13, 14, 12, eh, somewhere around up in there. But um, I didn't really know how to play. I didn't really know how to read music. I just knew what I wanted to hear, and I can go play around until I hear the notes I wanted to hear, because I used to actually sit and watch Manny Fresh for hours when he would put tracks together. I was a kid, like 10, 11 years old, and I was just <laughs> watching. But when I got to prison and I had a lot of time on my hand, I just used to go to the, the music room and get on the piano for hours just to relieve some stress. Oh, yeah. So uh, once I felt I learned the piano enough, I started doing the same thing with the bass guitar, uh, with the drums, and just trying to find my way around everything. So, you know, you started off as Lil Mac. Right, right, um, right. Man, how old were you when you first started rapping? Like, you were recording songs, putting out songs, I think we were like 10, 11, was it? Right, right. Well, 
I started, I wrote my first rhyme in 84. You can blame New Edition's Cool It Now for that. <laughs> I saw Cool It Now by New Edition and I knew right then and there what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Hmm. And uh, I wrote a rap and I spit it for the person closest to me that I knew that rap. And it was a guy named Sporty T who was best friends with my uncle. He was part of uh, one half of a rap group in New Orleans called the Ninja Crew. So I spit it for him. He was like, I was like seven or eight and he was like eight, 19, something like that. So I spit it for him and he looked at me and he said, man, that shit is whack. You ain't gonna make it nowhere with that. So I'm like, damn. So I went, ran and had to write another one. And I came to him, he like, nah, they ain't gonna cut it. And I just kept on writing and, and spitting for him until I felt it was something that he would like. But in hindsight, I'm like, damn, how you grown and you tell a seven-year-old kid that shit <laughs> right. whack? You ain't got no heart, man. But, uh, but he was one of the dopest MCs, you know, rest in peace, he he's, uh, he's deceased. But he was one of the dopest MCs and he was actually my inspiration for really wanting to dive into it because I just wanted that, 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 I wanted to flow like him because he was dope. And um, by the time I met Manny Fresh, I was 10 maybe. And I started working with him and um, his, his partner, which was Gregory D. And they were my first producers. They produced my first album, Lyrical Midget, when I was 12. It came out in 89, I think, 89 or 90, something like that. And you were signed back then, right? Mm-hmm. So what's your parents think, like, <laughs> you signed Oh, well, I begged record. my parents to sign it, and my parents were like, look, we're going to do this for you, but if your grades drop, this contract is null and void. So, man, I had, like, straight A's. I was making sure I had straight A's because I still wanted to do that. And I would be up all night in the studio and um, Manny Fresh and the other producer, they would like feed me coffee at 11 years old. That's why I hate coffee today. <laughs> I was in the studio all night drinking coffee so I could stay up and be able to go to class the next morning. So to, to this day, I hate coffee. Thank you, Gregory D and Manny Fresh. That's wild. Um, how'd you link up with BG? Oh man, I've been knowing Doogie since Doogie was a little kid. And I'm gonna just tell you something. BG has the right name. Baby gangster. He was a terrible child. That was a badass <laughs> little boy running through the neighborhood. But um, he, he, was, he was always had a bright smile. And uh, he was just that kid in the neighborhood who all of us just loved, everybody loved, man. And um, when I ran into him um, to do the song, I was signed to a label called Ionic at the time, me and my homegirl Storm, who lives out here in, in uh, ATL. So um, we were recording. And BG was there recording Chopper City because they had the state-of-the-art studio uh, owned by the man who, who um, was over our record label that I was on at the time. And he came to me, he like, yo, man, they got this dope beat I want you to hear. I want you to uh, spit something on it. So that's how that song came about. Oh, that's really dope, man. Mm -hmm. um, so how'd you get introduced to Master P and how old were you at the time? I, I met P, I believe, for the first time in 96, okay. late 96. Um, I had just quit my job. I was a damn security guard with no gun. With no uh, gun in the world. No flashlight. I didn't even have a flashlight. Um, so I just quit the job. And my partner, Wild Wayne, had hooked me up a meeting with one of the executives from Def Jam at the time. So I went in the meeting, I rapped for him, I played my demo. He liked it, he was interested, and um, he was basically talking about, you know, me coming out to New York. And, you know, I was like, man. So when I left out the room from that meeting, I ran into P on the elevator. Oh, wow. And um, he was like, yo, we got a party upstairs. And it was my first time like talking face to face with him, but I had uh, met him, I think, at Cain and Abel's video shoot because I rapped on one of their songs. And um, I went to the studio that next Thursday and I had never went back home after that. After I went that day, I was, I was living in Baton Rouge at that point and just uh, working on music. And, you know, at that, at that time, you know, it was, everything was good. Okay. Mm. So what was it like creating Shell Shocked? I don't know. The, the weird thing is, I didn't like, uh, Shell Shock was not compiled as a, 
at the time like, okay, I'm about to work on this album called Shell Shell. No, it was just a whole bunch of songs that I was picking, just like, all right, then like, dude, we need to come up with a title for your album. I came up with Shell Shot. Really? <laughs> yeah, because that was a dedication to my pops. And uh, I actually have on one of my dad friend, my dad's friends field jacket on the album cover from the oh, wall. Because wow. my dad's a Vietnam vet. And um, that's pretty much how Shell Shot came about. The whole album is, is was um, just kind of put together in a couple days. Yeah. It was very successful. I think it went gold, right? Yeah, and it was kind of, um, it was weird because it was something that, you know, I, I was new to at the time as far as just, because I had been rapping a long time, but just to see people respond to it, man, it was, it was, it was humbling. Yeah. What were these uh, recording sessions like while you were with No Limit? Because you guys were pumping out so much music. Was oh, it man. like set in stone? All right, Matt gets a session like, now. Everyone just comes through, or was it just everyone just in the studio just cooking up? Man, I'm gonna say this: the Colonel was running that label like a uh, like like a like a uh, what you call it? like a like a Ford car company. It's just like everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Everything was just, we really didn't have time, you know, we had so many artists on No Limit that you, and we had, the studio wasn't that big. So it was like, yo, this one working on their songs at this time, this one working on their songs at that time. So we were all basically just trying to push this stuff through to get them done, to meet these deadlines, because these deadlines was coming. Oh, wow. And, you know, it was, a, it was a gift and a curse. I think the gift was we was putting the product out there. And I don't think anybody can deny it. Back then, man, No Limit was pushing product out, man. And we were, like, pushing out 22, 23 songs every album. So we were pushing out a, a large quantity mm -hmm. of music, man. But I think the large quantity, I think it naturally just affected the quality because we didn't really get time to master all of um, the way we wanted these songs and albums to sound. Yeah. And what was the chemistry like between you and like KLC and the rest of the Beats by the Pound? Oh, it was cool. You know, I, I went to certain, I went to certain members of Beats by the Pound for certain things. Mm -hmm. If I wanted something hype, you know, I wanted, I wanted something that just, you know, made you buck, went to KL. If I wanted something that made you dance, went to Craig B. If I wanted something to make you think, I went to either Odell or uh, Moby Dick. Mm -hmm. If I wanted something that was like gangster, I went to Carlos, you know what I mean? So all of them had different flavors and that was probably the best thing about Beast by the Pound. Yeah. And did you get along right away with the other No Limit artists? Did you already have prior relationships with them or? Oh, the weird thing is I knew everybody on No Limit except Pete. So, <laughs> Before I signed to the label, like okay. I knew I, um, I knew Mia, I knew Can, uh, Can and Abel, I knew Fiend, me and Fiend, what, oh, Fiend right there, Fiend right there, you know? Been knowing Fiend since, uh, when I met you, Fiend, Rick? What, about 10 or 11, yeah. something? Yeah. Man, me and Rick met playing football in the middle of the street. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we was like kids. So it so, was all organic at the time then, huh? Yeah, and that, that was pretty, much part of the reason why I um, felt comfortable with signing with No Limit because I, like, I knew everybody had No Limit except, you know, P. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned touring overseas. What was that experience like for you? Oh um, man, that was crazy. Rick could tell you. That was, <laughs> I've heard some of his stories. <laughs> weird. That was crazy. We had a fight, man, in France. <laughs> that was crazy. Uh, it was. Man, it was, it was so great, man, to be able to travel that far around the world at 21 years old. But for me, it happened at an age where I don't even think I was mature enough to understand the enormity of what that meant. And I sometimes just think about how, man, if I would have known some of the history of some of those places, I probably would have enjoyed my trip a little more. Mm because I was so just, I was there, 
but it's like I was just young, man. I was just immature. Yeah, understood. Um, you got the chance to work with Nas. Um, people always like to compare it to you as like a down south Nas. And that's kind of, and, and that's, uh, I'm, I'm going to just tell you that. That one there, that's a heavy cross the bear to be talking about you sound like Nas. Nas a beast. Mm -hmm. um, I, my work with Nas happened uh, not as, uh, what's the word? It, it wasn't as m mysterious as one would think. It just happened like this. P was like, yo, I played something for P. He was like, who you want on this? I said, I want Nas on it. Just that simple, right? So um, played the song. He was like, yo, what you want to do with that song? I'm like, man, this, this song here, my baby. You know, this is my song. So uh, he was like, man, what you want to do with it? I was like, man, this is my baby, bro. I want this on my such and such album, I want Nas on it. So he left out the room. Then he came back and he handed me a check. So when I looked at the check, I said, look, you can keep the CD. I'm going to go get the case for you. It's in the car. You know what I mean? So I basically gave him that song to, and he put it on Only God's Judgment. Yeah. And um, Nas did his verse, I think, in either New York or Cali, and he, okay. he mailed it in. Yeah. Did you ever get to meet him, though? Yeah, yeah. I met, in fact, I met Nas before I got with No Limit. Oh, okay. So what was I that, Nas, what was that I like? I met Nas, and me, and, uh, me and Sam was together. We met Nas in front of the House of Blues. He was down here for a concert. Nas was a cool, he was a laid back brother, real laid back. So did you already have like the two verses written and done when you gave it to P? Yeah, yeah, okay. that was done. That was already done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so World War Three. So was there much of a difference between creating this project and Shell Shocked, or was it pretty much still the same? All right. World War Three was um, was a little different. World War Three was more. I don't know if if you gathered that, but World War, World War Three was a little more darker than Shell Shock. Um, I think because it was a reflection of, of what I was probably dealing with at the time. I, I heard the young brother mention mental health, and um, I, think, I think in hindsight, I might have been a little depressed. I don't know. You know, at the time, I didn't know. We didn't talk about that kind of stuff uh, back then. But um, in hindsight, I think I was a little depressed when I wrote World War, that album, put together that album. And once again, it wasn't like I was working on an album called World War Three. I just work, was working on a bunch of songs, and the songs were slowed more. It was more slowed down. It was more reflective, and it was, uh, I think, a little bit darker. And I think it was just a reflection of the whatever I was dealing with at the time. And uh, I actually enjoyed it. I think it was more musical than yeah. Shell Shock. Mm -hmm. Uh, did you guys have much say so in like which singles got pushed or was that kind of just up to like P and them like, all right, we shooting a video for this one? I think, I think, with, I think um, with any record label, <laughs> the record label is going to probably make the determination which songs is going to be the single. Yeah. Um, so were you in the process of like recording a new album? Um, yeah. I was, was this going to be on No Limit, or were you planning? Yeah, I was, I was actually doing what I w what I had planned to be my uh, at the time. It was supposed to be my last album with No Limit. Uh, not I was working on it, and that was the first one that I was actually working on with a title. Like oh, I was wow. going to name that One Love. It was like Shell Shock World War Three One Love. I'm out. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, I was working on that. Man, I think I was like three songs in, three songs deep into it, um, and this happened. Why were you planning to leave No Limit? Was it just time's up, like contract's done? I'm trying no, to kill myself. No, it wasn't. It, it wasn't. It wasn't like that. It was more just I was graduating. You go to college, you don't be a student forever. You go to college, you learn what you learn, and then you graduate. You use that degree to do you. So with me, it was like, okay, I, I'm a graduate of No Limit University. I did this for three years. I learned everything I needed to learn, and now it's time for me to take what I learned and go branch and do my thing like to start my own label, yeah. and that's what I was doing. Okay. Uh, do you have a story about Soldier Slim you could share? Man, I got a million stories about Soldier Slim. Soldier Slim was crazy as hell. <laughs> Look, me and Slim been knowing each other since we was children. Like, my mom and his mom like went to high school together. Um, I actually met Anthony Murray, who was his business partner. I met him a couple of days ago, and he was like, man, Slim used to always talk about you, man. He used to always tell me, 
And one morning, let me tell you something, Slim is crazy as hell. Slim come got me one day. No, scratch that story. I can't really say that on TV. So look, let me think of something else. I'm trying to think of one of the more. Slim had a fight with somebody one day. Not came to my hotel room door, knocked on the door, and put his lip in the peephole where the dude punched him. So I look. I open the door. He's laughing. He said, "Round, boy, that bitch ass nigga dealt with me." So I'm just like, this dude is just, Slim is crazy. Slim was one of the funniest dudes you could ever be around. And anybody who know you will tell you that. He was just a, he was just a, a, a live spirit. He kept everything live, you know what I mean? He, he always had good, he always was energetic. He always had some jokes. He was gonna rib you, he was gonna clown you. He was gonna cap on you, whatever you wanna call it. He was gonna cap on you. And he just always, he was always entertaining, even without trying to. He just was a naturally funny dude. And that was it. Yeah. Long live Soldier Slim, man. Mm -hmm. um, what about a story about Mr. Magic? Mr. Magic? Oh, me and Magic was cool. We, uh, me and Magic actually had an argument in the back of a cab in France because he was cursing the cab driver out while the cab driver was trying to get us back to the hotel. And I'm telling him, motherfucker, we don't know how to speak French. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. We don't know where we at. This man could drop us off in a dungeon. And me and him was in the back seat just, we laughed about it after it was over, but I was hot as fish grease at Magic because he was cussing this man out. Mother, you think you act like he was going off? But yeah, so that's my Magic story. Okay, what about Big Ed? Big Ed was the homie. Me and Big Ed actually traveled together a lot because um, Big Ed was um, like a big brother, you know, on No Limit to me. So we, uh, we went, me and Ed Judge, like talent shows together. We went to um, Cleveland. No, we went to Columbus, Ohio, and we were like guest uh, judges at a high school talent show. I, and um, we did a lot of traveling. We just kind of bonded. Ed was, Ed was serious a lot. Like he wasn't, Ed was definitely not someone who did a lot of joking. And um, he was a, a, a guy of his word, a man of his word. He was, he, had, he was a man of few words, but he meant what he said. And um, he just moved different. Like Ed just moved different. You know, he was married. He was like a, he was more mature than a lot of, than I think a lot of us. Yeah. So what's it been like, you know, reuniting with everyone, man? Reunite with Fiend, me, oh, man, it's been, all them. It's, it's been interesting because a lot of them ain't changed. I mean, this dude still look the same. I feel pleased. He still sounds the same. I got gray hair everywhere. This dude don't have no gray hair. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's weird, man, because it's, it's like, you know, you be away for so long from something, but then when you go back to it, it's almost like you just fit right back in it. It's like, okay, let's roll. So uh, it's been it's been dope. Yeah. It's been dope. I hope they feel I hope they feeling the same way. You know? <laughs> if you ain't feeling the same way, then I gotta feel some type of way about yeah. that. How much has the city of New Orleans changed since when you first went away? Man, to the city of New Orleans has changed a lot. Uh, it changed a lot, and it stayed the same a lot. Gentrification is real. So a lot of the places that was the hood are no longer the hood, and that kind of blowed my mind because I went to like where BG is from is um, a neighborhood I call the 13th Wall. So I'm in the 13th Wall recently, and I'm just standing up, and I'm like, there's a freaking Ferrari parked on the corner. 
And I'm like, what the, this is the freaking hood. But it ain't the hood no more. There's a bunch of white people walking dogs, yoga, yoga studios, coffee shops, and it's just totally different. And I was just like, wow. And I'm gonna say this, I embrace the diversity because I think diversity brings, it brings a, a different vibe when you got people from all kinds of culture uh, in one spot. I think it brings a different type of vibe and it's educational because you get to learn from different people. Um, I will go on record to say that I think people that went to diverse schools probably got a better education. I don't know if that's a fact, but that's coming from me. That's big facts. Yeah, I just had to look in the camera and look hard when I said that. But yeah, go ahead. Good show. <laughs> so uh, music-wise, are you like working on an album or are you kind of just... No, I retired, man. I'm sick of music. That's it? Yeah, I'm done with 21 all 21 summers? But, I, but look, it's Friday. I'll be lying on Friday, so I'm going to tell you. <laughs> So the truth of the matter is, I'm working on some music and it'll probably be out real soon. But I do be lying on Fridays. Just, just Only on right. Fridays? Just on Fridays. Why Fridays? Yeah, my wife said I'm, I'm cool. She gave me, you know. Oh, she right. gave me one day to lie. Yeah, you, you can lie on Fridays. So that's what I do. <laughs> I'm baby. So what's this new music sounding like then? Um, I think the mu I think any music is a reflection of a person's um, where they at in life at that time. and. Uh, I'm grown, man. I'm about to be a grandfather. My son about to have two kids. So, you know, people have asked me over the years, like, man, when you get out, man, I know you're going to record another Shell Shock. I'm like, Shell Shock was recorded by a 21-year-old damn fool. What the hell makes you think I'm about to get out of here and record another Shell Shock? No, I'm going to record it, and I'm proud of Shell Shock. Love it. But Shell Shock has its time and its place. I'm 44 years old. Hell no, I'm not about to get out of here and be yelling no murder, murder, kill, kill. I'm a grown-ass man. <laughs> so uh, do you perform that song? Yes, I perform it, and I perform <laughs> it, too. I'm talking about I get in it, I perform it. For that moment, I'm 21 years old. Yeah. And when I get off that stage, my knees and my back <laughs> let me know that I ain't 21 years old. Uh, you mentioned your son, and he was born like right after you had got locked up, right? Mm -hmm. He so, was born actually three months after I got uh, oh, arrested. Wow. Mm -hmm. So how difficult was that for you? Um, probably the one of the most difficult things I've ever had to deal with in my life. And I say that um, because I don't know what his experience was. I never had that experience. My father taught me everything. You know, my mom and dad now, shout out to mom and pops. They've been married for 45 years. Their anniversary is next Saturday. So, you know, I don't, and I'm the oldest of six kids. So I, I never, I don't know what that experience is like, you know. So um, I can imagine, only imagine how hard it's been for him. But I know how hard it's been for me, just being in a place where I couldn't be the, the domineering influence on my son, yeah. you know, so he, he learned what he was exposed to, you know, and, and uh, it's been a tough road, but I think love, I think love conquers all. And uh, that's pretty much my feelings on that. Yeah, so what's these last few months been like where you're able to actually spend time with him and kind of rebuild that relationship? Oh, it's, it's, it's been, it, it's, it has been like, any relationship, it has had its challenges, of course, because we, we're getting to know each other. It's like we're, yeah, we visit in prison, but when you're there around someone every day, it's a little different. And we've been getting, you know, re-getting to know each other. And um, it's, it's been with love, you know. And, and my son, if he don't know anything else, he know that I love him. And he know that he means the world to me. We may have our differences or whatnot because, I mean, distance and time created those differences and those barriers. But uh, once again, I think love conquers all. Yeah, absolutely. That might be a cool phrase. I might have got that from a song or something. But yeah. It could be your next album cover. Nah. Nah. <laughs> Two games for TV. So what's next for Mac? What's the future for you, Mac? Uh, the future? Hell, well, the very first uh, thing in the immediate future, I need to probably get back to this bed and lay down because I'm old and it's getting kind of close to my, my bedtime. But uh, 
working on music. Um, I'm still mentoring. I mentored through a little organization called the Son of, Son of a Saint in New Orleans. Um, expect to see some big things in 2022 from Mac Phipps. And that's how I'll leave that. Okay. All right, so do you have any last words for your fans, your supporters, any shout Man, see, last words just sound so final, man. It's like, you know, damn. Uh, I don't have any last words, but what I'll say is this. <laughs> I'll wrap up <laughs> by just saying, man, thank you to everyone who supported me over the years. And um, it's been a hell of a journey, but through that support and that love that people constantly showed, you know, it made it bearable for me. You know, it didn't make it easy, but it made it bearable. And I'm just thankful for that. So shout out to everybody out there. And um, I look forward to meeting y'all on the road, seeing you, you know, and, and hopefully y'all look forward to the same thing for me. Holla. Beautiful. Shout out Dirty Glove Bastard too. And I just found out what Dirty Glove Bastard meant because I told, I'm telling you, I've been to penitentiary, so my mind went somewhere else with it. Don't worry, they don't know what it means either. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell them what it feel like, but I can't tell them it feel right. I finally got some sleep last night. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.